0: Hello, everyone, and welcome! I am your host, as always, Victor Hunter, and I am just... I'm so excited about our guest for today's episode that I want to get right into introducing him. I think every FF content creator needs to have this man on their show at some point, and there's never been a better time to have him as a guest. Right now, in the world of FF... There are a few things on the minds of, of everyone who's caught up. Everyone has questions about the, the the moon and the mysterious forces emanating from it, about the, the point of zero and, and how this all ties into a little game called FF4. But let's get right to our guest so we can start addressing these questions. He's known as the lore keeper of the FF community. He's an archivist who has forgotten more about ff than most players have ever known in their lives he's a guest i've been wanting to chat with specifically about this topic since this show started and if you've seen the title of this episode you know exactly what i mean please welcome anani moose thanks so much for being on the show how are you my friend i'm doing pretty good how are you doing today i'm great i'm I'm so happy to have you it's been a long
1: time coming the, the 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 keeper the the community i don't know if i could like take credit for the whole community like <laughs>
0: you are, hang you out with the prominent a, a prominent figure within the community i'll,
1: I'll take that i'll take yes that.
0: yes um but i am um, i'm really glad you're here because interest uh lately um specifically in ff4 has has reached a Fever Pitch and I know our listeners have questions and I could not have asked for a better
1: guest to talk about this topic with. Um, I There's never been a better time to talk about FF4 and I really didn't see that coming in 2023 Exactly, of all years. right? Um, I, saw, I, I mean, I guess aside from the year it originally came out, there's never been a better time to talk
0: about it. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like everybody's buzzing with, with FF4 Fever. So, we're going to we're going to be talking about exactly what zero is and 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 represents. Um, we're going to be talking about FF 4s relationship with the moon and and how that has informed the story. Um, and most importantly, <clears throat> we have this very imposing male antagonist character, sort of a, a paternalistic figure um, to some of these these lost souls. And um, we're, uh, he, his face is completely hidden. We're going to be talking about the the relationship this man might have with our protagonist. But we're also going to unravel his obsession with with harnessing this lunar power to move all these souls from one plane to another and sort of what that ambition means for the people on our plane. But... <laughs> Sorry, I have to apologize. I'm I'm getting a, a little bit of ahead of myself. I completely forgot to introduce the show at the top of the episode. Sorry. Um, one second. <clears throat> Welcome, everyone, as always, to another perfectly normal episode of Rogetsu Dropouts, a good Fatal Frame podcast for bad doctors. Today, my special guest and I will be talking, of course, about what else? Fatal Frame 4, Mask of the Lunar Eclipse. Like I said, as soon as I knew I could get such an amazing guest, I knew I wasn't going to waste this opportunity by talking to him about anything other than the topic that everyone knows him for, Fatal Frame. So happy to have you here. I'm honored to have been asked. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, It's amazing that this Fatal Frame specific podcast has been running so long and we've never had you on. I can't
1: believe it either. I mean, it's it's really just got to be a, a coincidence of scheduling somehow. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I
0: I do want to um sort of get into, you know, I'm sure maybe someone's just listening to this show for the first time and and they're not sure about what Fatal Frame is, which would be so weird especially for this podcast. Bizarre. But um yeah, maybe maybe let's uh, let's chat a little bit about um, what the series is and, and what it means to us. I'd, I'd love to know um, how you got
1: into the series and, and what your history is. So, me personally, I think I probably got into the series exactly how the marketing department intended. Uh, <laughs> t- two thousand one, two thousand two school year, peak cringe teen years. Yeah. I'm hanging out. I'm hanging out at the electronics store. There's an older teen working there, and I ask him the same question I ask him every week: "What's the scariest movie you've got right now?" And this one particular week, this guy is just like, "You don't want a movie, actually. You th- this week you want this game on the PS2. It's based on a true story, <laughs> and it." for for what it's worth the american version of fatal frame one it it does say that on the box it does i I would later find out that it's based on a true story kind of like blair Witch is a true story (laughs) like it's it's true that it's a story it's just that the story is not true true (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) so (laughs) i go i go home i don't even open it i put it on my bed and i start cleaning my room which is how you like no i'm serious about this my teenage years definitely i wait for it to get dark i plug in my headphones i pop a fresh mountain dew and then that's when (laughs) i open it right like complete my early 2000s ritual of like as soon as you unseal it and pop open the case for the first time you like huff that first whiff of air that oh. comes out of it and get all that like that ink and adhesive um it's i the... miss the i miss the new disc moment
0: yeah and, and there was I, I i remember specifically like there was a different a- aroma between like a gamecube <laughs> game and a ps2 game and and like You could you could blindfold me and give me a smell test and I could tell you what game (laughs)
1: console the the little things we've lost along the way, man. Right. Yeah. And so I I finally get my like my my environment right and the setup right and I put on my headphones and I turn off all the lights and I crack my drink and it turns out that this this game does not disappoint like right from the get-go it's creepy it's beautiful it's got this masterful masterful control of of tension and i think within the first 20 minutes there's this scene in ff1 that just controls the tension so masterfully i don't want to spoil anything if anyone never played it but it, like it really gets this flow going of getting you to expect certain things and sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. And then there's this one scene where it goes so slow and you're just waiting for it to drop, waiting for it to drop and nothing happens. And you think, there we go. Okay, we've diffused the tension. That one's a false alarm. On with the game. You turn around, you open a door, ghost in the face, huge loud (laughs) noise, right? And I scream I scream I reel back this unplugs the headphones the sound blasts (laughs) out of the surround sound into my face I scream again kick over my drink um and I just get up and I slam the top of the tv power off I'm like we will deal with this in the am and in that moment a fan was born like it was the first time I had ever been scared by a video game in that way Um, And so it will always have a special place in my heart. I've played them all ever since.
0: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. You're right. That is exactly I I mean, that's that's the perfect encapsulation of what 2000s uh, North how North American marketing companies want to sell J horror to people
1: in the early 2000s it was dead on and i keep making i keep making fun of the traditional fatal frame logo because it's it's in all caps except for the t so that they can have it be an upside down crucifix and it's just like in a game that has nothing to do with christianity whatsoever in any way just like the peak 2000s marketing they're really trying
0: to capitalize on some sort of leftover satanic panic to to make yeah. teens feel real edgy and counterculture, and it just <laughs> sort of, it, yeah, it totally has nothing to do with with these games. Um, actually, well, I, I hope we can get into it a little bit later, but I, I do want to talk about what the actual influences are and what the actual yeah, sort yeah. of religious backgrounds of some of these games are. Um, I, uh, I. I came to it a tiny bit later because um, uh, I didn't have a PS2 until, ooh, maybe 2006, I want to say. Um, and at that point, I was working at EB Games. Um, great but place I... to get <laughs> PS2 games. <laughs> pretty darn good now
1: that now that they have like now that they've produced some playstation actually has this like cycle that they go through where the first couple of years everyone's like they got no games and then like they hit that midpoint and dominate for the rest of the generation oh yeah i'm i'm very
0: happy with my copy of xenosaga 3 that i picked up while working there my all my shin megami tenseis and stuff like that but um yeah it it actually still wasn't a a few more years until i got Uh, the actual ps2 versions of the main trilogy but i i think my first experience was uh i was absolutely um like I, i went to the theater to see the ring um i was very much on the j horror bandwagon um and uh i i definitely wanted anything that was tonally like that at all um So it's, it's too bad that I didn't actually get to play them for a little while, but that EB games that I would work at a few years later had, I think, I think it was two on their PS2 demo unit. So I got that like little taste that had to tide me over for a couple more years, but I I also subscribed to a bunch of game magazines and stuff. So I'd, I'd look at the previews for, for the, the, the three games as they came out. And then uh, when I got a PS3 and they were really going hard on the PS2 classics and stuff, I snagged all three of those immediately because like they were like seven dollars each. So as if I never gained the
1: prestige to like maintain that fifty dollar price tag (laughs) the whole time, like some of the anime games. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think there's like probably a better game to be introduced to the series by with two. Or then too, because the the first game is it kind of goes hard on like raw Shinto Buddhist horror, and it's very like basic worldview. And I think Mm -hmm. they got a lot of feedback at the time that it was just too scary to finish. Mm-hmm. Um. So they really leaned into bringing out the artistic side of the cultural influences and the and really like kind of the emotional side of the artistic influences too. And Absolutely. so once they hit that balance in two, I think it really hit its stride, and that's probably what it's best known for. Yeah, I, I think two two also really excels
0: at at establishing the series use of color and just like Mm -hmm. really framing things beautifully in, in such a compelling way. One of the things that, that, that pulls me through these games is just what the next beautiful shot is going to be. What, what the next like set piece is going to be. Um, and, uh, yeah, every game since has sort of had like a, a trademark color that it really tries to, to drive home. Um, uh, yeah i i guess um what what else is it i mean were you were you a a j horror guy did you you know watch the ring and pulse and and dark water and all of those those hits that that we were fed in the early 2000s
1: it was it was kind of a weird journey because i played this um this the the year maybe the song like a season or two before the ring came out right um and then so the ring actually fed into what i was already building momentum on from this yeah but at the same time i was also again like young cringy western teen and so i actually liked the western versions of these things as intended a sure, little more yeah. than the japanese ones at first yes, and it wasn't yeah. into, like i actually went back and watched the original version of the ring a couple years ago mm-hmm. and when i was a teenager i was like oh you know like the video qualities worse the budgets worse the graphics aren't as cool maybe it's just not sure. as you know like I'm, I'm glad the west got the chance to make this but actually going back and watching it as an adult and having my adult eyes for yeah. it it really is a masterpiece of a totally movie. So I, I've been going through a lot of the J-horror uh, at the actual originals, more as an adult than as a teenager. But as a teenager, I did consume a lot of the Western versions of them and occasionally the originals. Again, for, for
0: maybe people who aren't super familiar with the with series. So we had uh, Fatal Frame 1 on the PS2 in, was it yep. 2002?
1: it was the very end of 2001 it was like december because the the story takes place in december they released it in december and then like right after it came out it was 2002 right uh then then we have the follow-up uh fatal frame 2
0: crimson butterfly which is um has long sort of been regarded as the best in the series by by a lot of fans and a lot of of communities online um also on the the ps2 and then we got uh fatal frame 3 tormented also on ps2 and and that is sort of the the ps2 trilogy and then we we get into a a a slightly more contentious period uh this is the (laughs) yeah we we move into a different realm for a little while when Fatal Frame sort of moved into the Nintendo side of things, uh, mm-hmm. w- what was your sort of feeling at the time? This would have been 2007, I think, is when Fatal Frame 4 was announced um, yep. and then released in in 08. Um, were you were you still following the series? Were you excited about a new release?
1: Did did you have feelings about the Wii being the platform of choice? I, I I had very strong feelings about everything at that point in my life. I feel like I was very <laughs> opinionated. Um, but so I would say mixed feelings, like the idea of it being a Nintendo exclusive, I had very mixed feelings about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you remember kind of the era of the GameCube, I had good reason to be. Um, sure. I felt like in the GameCube era, they made a lot of effort to and i mean this probably goes back to the 64 too but they made a lot of effort to get um horror franchises mature franchises and adult franchises early on mm-hmm. as if to say we're a very serious platform that's not just for children yeah. and then as it went on they really didn't care much about it afterwards um and I think that my experiences with Resident Evil were simultaneously cause for hope and alarm. Yeah. Uh, but I was willing to to hear it out like I was willing I was actually willing to get a Wii just to play this game because I didn't get one. Um, I got the GameCube and I got four games for it. And I was like, like, I can't keep buying consoles for Pokemon (laughs) and Zelda my entire life. Like, uh, so I was willing to get a Wii for this and then they canceled it. And I was mad, like very mad. And they had only just recently also canceled Forbidden Siren 2 from Coming West. So I was very mad, like mad and only that way an opinionated teenager can be mad. Yeah,
0: I, I totally get that. Yeah, um, for those who who weren't around or or didn't follow it, what happened is is basically Nintendo became a, a a pretty prominent shareholder in was it was it the the IP itself or just in Tecmo as a studio? Uh, Do you know the the. I am not
1: one hundred percent clear on it, to be honest yeah. with you. I know I I, don't I, I think just know that they they had a lot of control.
0: Yeah, even now the the publishing is odd and doesn't make a ton of sense. And and I don't think they they've ever been very forthcoming with what exactly Nintendo owns of this franchise. I mean, the characters appear in Super Smash Brothers as trophies and and assist trophies and things. Um, and, and for a while that the series was completely exclusive to Nintendo consoles, but, uh, ever since the re-release of fatal frame five, um, two years ago, that's, that's all out the window. And now we have no idea what's, what's happening on that front. Um, but yeah, uh, fatal frame four was, was pretty unique. Um, I was excited. Uh, I, I, I was that's probably not like peak Nintendo fanboy time for me, but I was I was very optimistic about the Wii and what it could do and the kind of games that were coming out for it and any any time a mature quote unquote uh game was coming out for the Wii, it felt like a little bit of validation. Yeah. You know, I I yeah, I, I owned a PS3 as well and and I'm a I'm a huge Metal Gear fan. Um so you know, it has the same sort of effect as like Snake showing up in Smash Brothers Brawl. It's like a "Ha ha, see, yeah!" N- Nintendo does do cool things. Everybody, you should be paying attention. Websites should still be writing about stuff on the Wii. Um, but yeah, like you say, English version of that never came out. But then, then something something magical happened in 2010, I believe it was. And, and we got a, a fan translation. Um, yeah. what was your experience getting, getting that or, or finally playing fatal frame four for the first time?
1: I would, I would actually say I was a pretty late arrival to that. When, it, when the sure. fan translation first came out, I think I experienced it primarily through YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I didn't, play it myself until i had the right kind of intersection of the game the fan patch the dolphin emulator and a good pc yeah and that was the first time i really played it for myself and i liked it when i watched it on youtube but i Mm -hmm. loved it when i played it myself there's something really charming about fatal frame 4 that i can't really put my finger on um but i i would not hesitate to call it my favorite um flawed maybe like in certain technical aspects of objective analysis is it the best game maybe not but you know like something in my personality just really latches onto it as a favorite
0: yeah i think yeah we we can just get into some some deep dive fatal frame 4 talk now i i think i think this is the time (laughs) for it I have so many feelings about this game and I love it a little bit more every single time I play it. I think there's, like you say, there's there's a charm to how it plays, especially on the Wii, the original, when you're using the, the motion controls, that it it translates a survival horror control scheme jank into something that feels... <laughs> not one to one with what you're doing with your body but there's there's a that frustration that you feel is i think i think mitigated a little bit by the fact that you are operating it in your meat robot like there's something there's something about it i don't know i don't i don't know if you feel the same way i know a lot of people uh just don't like the motion controls they don't like how finicky the camera and the flashlight can be sometimes but but how did how did you feel getting into the control scheme
1: um okay i've played it a little bit on the wii not much on the wii um sure. i've played it mostly um through the old emulation systems sure. and the new uh the new kind of way they have it yeah um and i have very different feelings about each i think yeah. Um, one thing I want to respect is that, like by by putting it on the Wii and being experimental in this way, I think they did give the series more life than it would have had if they didn't. Um, sure. So it it led to a weird era, and it led to a weird Nintendo exclusivity, and the <laughs> I think it limited the reach that it had, and we could we could complain about that all day, but th- I think it would be f- unfair to ignore that the series probably has more life because it took the opportunity to use the Wii technology the way it did yeah and i think horror horror protagonists have long had issues with accuracy and comfortable movement like in the silent hill fandom we joke about that all the time is that like the control the controls suck because you're just some random guy and You know he sucks at fighting, so yeah. so do you. And, and and some people will buy into that
0: uh, suspension of disbelief or or meeting the meeting the the systems halfway, and some people don't. Some people want a frictionless experience. And
1: I'm I'm perfectly content with the Wii to to pretend I'm you know like a scared seventeen year old girl, and that's why I suck at the accuracy and have something. So I think the only thing that was discomfort discomfortable in that game uh was the the joystick where you have to move the movement sure the walking's joystick i didn't i didn't that one was a little weird for me yeah so when i did the emulation i actually copied the um copied the control scheme directly from the playstation 2 version of fatal frame 2 nice uh so going from there to the Steam version isn't too different, but I actually found that the Steam version uses uses the original intended button layout for the PlayStation.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I don't know if you're familiar with the original Japanese intentions of the controller, but the symbols actually mean things. <laughs> yeah, so, they sure do, huh? Yeah, so like in Japan, the circle symbol is yes, affirmative, forward. Um, I think they're called Maru and Batsu. And the the cross is no back go away decline yeah so that's what the circle and x are supposed to be like affirmative and deny mm-hmm. and then the square is supposed to be menus and then the triangle is supposed to be to change your viewpoint camera point somehow and it's exactly like that when you push the triangle it pulls the camera up you look through the viewfinder when you push the square button it opens the menus like it and, at first it was a little uncomfortable because I wasn't used to it. And then I remembered like, this is what I wanted. Like, this is what I thought was a good idea and we never should have d- gone too far away from. Yeah. So like, as I get more used to it, I'm like, you know <laughs> what? Screw <laughs> it. This is the, this is the classic PlayStation experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I
0: agree. Yeah. It, um, I mean, yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to see whatever they do with how they map controls. If, if the original trilogy ever gets a remaster, but Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it doesn't, it doesn't take that much to deprogram yourself from, from contemporary streamlined control schemes and just, just put yourself back in that headspace back when, back when controls weren't completely
1: codified. And I think as, I think as adults, um, we are used to the expectation that we have some mastery over our environment and we know Mm -hmm. how to do things. Mm -hmm and i've noticed that like children just don't have that assumption yeah they assume that they they have to explore and practice and learn things and i think as adults we lose that and if we don't really have any mastery over it to start with we get a little frustrated with it we don't explore it we're afraid to break it we have no idea what we're doing and it makes us angry and i find that when it comes to video game control schemes i love the idea that you can hot I love when you can hotkey your your heart out to your heart's content exactly the way you want it. Rebind everything exactly the way you're comfortable with. It. I sure. love that. I think it should always be an option. But when you have to, like you say, deprogram yourself and learn how to do it a different way. I think I've gotten a lot more comfortable doing that as an adult over the past couple of years since I realized that as an adult, I just I just need to do it on purpose. I need to put a little deliberation into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's um
0: I imagine there's going to be a lot of people experiencing that right now going back to, for for people who are going back to the original RE4 with with the remake coming out people who want to try the original it's going to take a a couple more to we'll get steps. used to. Yeah. Yeah. I I replayed Killer 7 recently and oh, man. and boy man jumping back into that it it takes I don't know, it takes 10 minutes but but once you remember that a is walk forward, and B is turn around. And hold down a direction to select menu. Yeah,
1: it stuff. Never takes but, that long like, if you give it a chance.
0: Yeah, yeah. um I, I do want to go back to something else that you said too about this sort of paradox of of Fatal Frame and Nintendo, because when Fatal Frame Four came out, as far as the numbers that we can find online say, it was the best selling entry in the series if, if i'm as not i understand
1: mistaken. it that's accurate
0: yeah um so to so to see uh, a a brand new entry that is is so experimental be the best selling game in the series and then watch the publisher do nothing with it is is very disheartening um, very yeah uh, it, it, yeah, except they they did a couple other things too. Spirit Camera and Deep Crimson Butterfly, whatever. Yeah. But but to to not bring that out to a bigger audience um was was baffling and frustrating and 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 very very strange. But um yeah, ultimately I am with you. I Fatal Frame 4 I think is my favorite in the series for for a lot of reasons. Um I think there's a you know as much as it can be marketing buzzwords and stuff like that there there's there's a, a really interesting entry in the director commentary in the new um, art gallery in the remaster where they're talking about the the uh, promotional images that they made for for 4 and they talk about how they their their, their sort of key terms for Fatal Frame 4 was like touch horror or like horror that you can touch and and the sort of revisions that they went through as they figured out well what does that actually mean and and what are the limitations of how much a player can you know reach out and actually grab an item and feel uh quote unquote immersed um because i don't i don't think it's it's successful in being an immersive gameplay experience but i think there is the 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 vocabulary and the verbs that they are trying to teach you are very unique and 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 give give specifically fatal frame four a really interesting unique feeling and yeah. and feelings that I think map to map to the tone of the story and and the lessons and the the character arcs and maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. You've you've played the fan translation um, mm-hmm. on emulator. Uh, for the record, uh, I played it on original hardware, buddy. So, okay. Uh, so, who's the guest expert now? Uh, I I got my USB loader running on my original Wii. Uh, I I I have I I bought the disc. I got it running the fan translation through the the um, homebrew revolution loader i and i was living on my own at the time i had a tiny little like 200 square foot studio apartment i was living life
1: (laughs) i um I always had plans i just never saw them through i was gonna borrow a wii from a family member who didn't use it anymore i was gonna have a disc imported i was gonna try to figure out how to do the weird the memory card patch (laughs) thing and i just it was one of those things that's just like intended but never
0: followed through It's it's so convoluted. It took me so, so much work. And then even then I would because I'd have the USB dongle in the back of my Wii. And sometimes I would have to like, pull it out in the middle of the homebrew launcher loading and then put it back in at the right time to get it to actually boot up. It was a 25% chance that it would actually work. So yes, the the fan translation was was a, a pretty big moment, and it was how yeah. a lot of people had played this game for for over a decade. Yep. Um, we just saw a, a remaster come out, yep, uh what two weeks ago now, as of this recording Very recently yeah yeah, yep
1: this month the eighth um, of this month so
0: Yeah, uh, how much uh, have you have you been able to play that? I've gotten one playthrough through, one full playthrough. How do you feel about? I mean, how do you feel about the original fan translation and how do you feel about this, this official, we have an official localization to Fatal Frame 4. I can't believe
1: it. Right, (laughs) finally. And it's, it's funny because like right in the middle, I had tried to translate it myself to Mm -hmm. try to understand it a little better. And it actually started gaining momentum. Like, yeah, let's actually like repatch it. We'll figure everything out. And then they announced this one and we were like, ah, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) too much work. Yeah. Um, but now i i want to start probably with that some of what i'm gonna say is is probably going to sound very critical so let's set the tone and lead with something that's not the english fan patch made the game playable um it took it took that game from unplayable (laughs) to not only playable but downright understandable kind of and that's huge yeah and we owe Everyone involved in that project, like a huge debt of gratitude and our sincere heartfelt thanks for, those, for being able to experience the game in, in the years between. That's Absolutely. not nothing. And I really hope that what I'm going to say doesn't detract from that, because it's in my in my opinion, it's a separate issue. So the part of it that I'm more critical on is that this game is not easy to translate. Um, (laughs) If you look at the original version as it's loading up, it it even warns Japanese players that it uses grammar from the 1970s and 1980s that just does not apply anymore, and it may be very difficult to read. It uses characters (laughs) that are no longer in use. It uses grammar that's no longer in use. It is a difficult game to translate. So the fan translation is not without flaws. And not just because it was using kind of complex archaic language, but also because it's deeply rooted in in history and culture of some pretty esoteric topics for like modern people. Mm-hmm. So there's you could superficially understand what you were doing in the game, but I think if you wanted to understand the lore deeply, you were probably not going to get there in the fan translation. And to be fair, that's not all their fault. Um, I thought it was so I translated the entire game over myself, despite not knowing a word of Japanese just me a dictionary and Wikipedia against the world. And I went from like 50% understanding it to like 85% understanding it, because it turns out this is also partly the director's fault. Um, and now we're kind of bridging the old to the new here, because uh, I, I found out in the middle that it's, it's actually three different stories by three different people glued together. One. Uh, choshiro story was written um by suda uh at the last second
0: yeah we should say that this was not only a a joint effort between uh tecmo and uh, nintendo but they looped grasshopper into this as well suda 51's studio Um, and and
1: shibata has some hilarious stories about how you know (laughs) he and suda and others like mismanaged this project in a very very loving way um but his stories about how this (laughs) this went were hilarious but it is it's three stories kind of duct taped together um and that was tough to begin with but i think first off i will say that the 2023 translation is great um there are very few differences from what I ended up with and what they ended up with. And so I would say this is a very, very solid translation. Sure. Um, there, there are a lot of esoteric terms in the game that they had to come up with, um, a lot of jargon that they had to come up with. And I think that I probably would have made different choices for some of the jargon, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to let that get in the way of me really praising the quality of the translation. And when if you get the... Um, the deluxe version of the remaster. It comes with a digital art book that has a lot of commentary by Shibata. Mm -hmm. And um, in combination, because the, the art book contains some kind of walkthrough of what his thought process was, some of the whimsical things he threw in there and didn't explain. You know, he's like, oh, this time period of two years is just because, you know, I heard once that the wind in the atmosphere cycles every two years. And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And <laughs> this thing over here, this is this is based on fully Dieu And like the, you know, French, you know, madness shared between people. And that's kind of what I was going for there. And once you uh, like read his thoughts on these silent underlying assumptions, I think you can get to 100% understanding. I think you can yeah. finally understand this goddamn game. Like now,
0: in 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 what little you've been able to to play the game, have have they sorted out the timeline not making sense for one of the no. n- nurses? Great. Okay. <laughs> no.
1: No. Um, the 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 Fatal Frame team is um, is incredible at their detail oriented kind of cultural analysis and artistic analysis. Yeah. If you look at the objects in the room, if you look at the clothing, if you look at the like the the spiritual influences they're bringing in, they are so detail oriented. But if you look at their like understanding of science and technology and timelines and being able to weave stories together, that's probably <laughs> their weak point. Is They can never figure out kind of what year anything happened, um, what's happening when relative to other characters. That always is the weak point. So there is there's still one um, it's one of the patients is. Simultaneously being moved into a room before the before the Kagura dance, mm-hmm. and um, later you read about her patient history, and she got it at at the event. So it's like <laughs> she's had it, but they're moving her into it. But like I I think they could if they just like Final Fantasy fourteen style build some new lore around the old lore. To, oh, ha- actually,
0: what happened is. They they conquered. Uh, they took over Dalmasca twice. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I I I don't <laughs> was, know where that, that was came Dalmasca. from. Sorry. I I have no idea what you're talking about. I feel like I just entered a fugue state.
1: Um, I feel like they could get away with it if they wanted to, but there are a couple of things in the game that just they still line up really weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: you you're saying um, about the the team's attention to detail and the cultural mm-hmm. artifacts and the way they. They decorate these these sets with so much detail and so much care. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about sort of some of your findings um, in like the the historical background of specifically four because it's it's an interesting it's already an interesting game in the way they sort of fuse western influence with traditional japanese uh uh, folklore and and religions and and different regional belief systems if you have
1: something you can go off about on on that topic let's see where where to start is really the question because the influences in this one it's a it's very similar to some of the ones that were in the earlier games and this is probably a good time to touch on that like when the games were localized in the early 2000s they really didn't pay a lot of attention to trying to preserve the cultural aspects so if if you wouldn't understand it because you weren't japanese they didn't try to teach you about japan they just glossed right over it and threw it out and you know in the year 2002 that probably made a lot of sense that was probably a great idea um it, it was a, but, it was a market that they were convinced
0: needed a full remake of the ring to be palatable to an audience you know this right. was the we and, don't trust our western audience to to meet the 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 cultural
1: signifiers halfway you know and to be fair i will i will meet them halfway we didn't earn that trust exactly at all <laughs> yeah. so like if you pay attention to what happened after the ring and the grudge did the west go and learn that in the japanese world view <laughs> That in Onryo, a vengeful spirit, looks like it's dressed in white and has hair in its face and they all look like that. No, we all just went, why is this ripping off the ring? Yeah, This is such a ring rip off when it's like their ghosts have looked like that, all of them, <laughs> since the Kabuki days, which is like it's, you could... It, it reminded me of a Japanese person watching two American horror movies and going, why is this ghost see-through? It's such a ripoff! <laughs> like, why is it partly transparent? It's just copying this other movie I saw. <laughs> so no, we didn't earn that trust. And yeah. it to give you an example of how, how much that prevented me from understanding it as a teenager. There's most of the games deal with a, a, a location where the boundary between the world of the living and Yomi, the Japanese underworld, are very is very thin. There's a, mm-hmm. a, a kind of a loose membrane there, mm-hmm. and in Fatal Frame One, they chose to translate the phrase Yomi Gate as Hell Gate, <laughs> and I, not knowing what Yomi was. And being Western, which is like, well, this is a weird representation of hell, but sure, let's roll with it. That's yeah. hell. And yeah. I didn't even have the opportunity to learn about Yomi or what Japanese underworld concepts are because I wouldn't have known what to Google. Like sure. they, just, they, they sanitize all traces of it. Yeah. And so really all the games are kind of the same game, if you understand that. And once I started digging into Fatal Frame 4, I started realizing just how true that is. Mm -hmm. Um, Every game is about a place where there's a gateway to Yomi that's just the the membrane between the worlds is thinner. Mm -hmm. And the culture around that area developed a unique way to deal with that problem. Mm -hmm. And now the ghosts and spirits that are there, all that spiritual energy that's there are following the rules that that culture set up. So you have to play by the rules of the culture, not just the spiritual belief system. You have to play by the rules of the culture to solve the problem. You have to follow through with their rituals. Mm -hmm. And so this is this game is a, a lot like the others in that way. But it's also very different because this is the one game where you don't have like a very explicit, deliberate human sacrifice. Yeah, it's not as brutal. It's actually like more beautiful in a way but it's also more threatening and more scary in a way by the way that they drag all the psychology into it yeah
0: and 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 more more tragic too when you see uh uh the the way that i mean the the game is set in what we are now calling an infirmary um as of as of the new translation i apologize in advance if i use some of the old fan translation terms but yeah seeing the for being um about people desperately trying to understand how to save people and yeah. this this backdrop of of mental health and and how we handle people who are in dire situations and and what we can do to help them what we should do to help them and and how we achieve that and the things we sacrifice along the way you know as opposed to boss... just being like, you're you're the girl we need to kill to keep this, <laughs> this hell gate
1: closed. Sorry. Right. <laughs> and even, even the boss ghost. Like in a lot of the other games, the boss ghost is like a calamity ghost caused by a sacrifice gone wrong. Like they mm-hmm. should have been willing. They should have been able. They should have had no attachments to the world. And somehow that mm-hmm. went sideways and they've been corrupted. And this one, like, it's a little like that. But not quite like there are yeah. a lot of unhappy spirits that are influencing her, but mm-hmm. she's still kind of wandering around the island with this kind of aloof, happy. We should all be like this vibe. Yeah. Like she's trying to bring everyone together in a really screwed up kind of way. Yeah, it's just a very beautiful story. Um, yeah. But yeah, when I started digging into. Um, so I think a really good expl- or a really good example of kind of the way that the the translations can gloss over your ability to learn about them. Uh, In this game, the, the rituals historical version is called in English. They translated it as the right of descent. Mm -hmm. And I really don't think if you know the Japanese term for it, there's any way you could ever figure out really a good English way to Mm -hmm. say it because it's based on, it's called the Kiraigo and Araigo is a very specific idea in Japanese culture. Um, it's this this vision on and I am not a Japanese historian or s- specialist, so I may be a little imprecise here. Please forgive sure. me if you're an actual Japanese culture expert <laughs> listening to this show. But Araigo is, is, is like a vision of um, Amida Buddha coming to you on your death and kind of welcoming you into the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what's going on in this game and the way the spirits are coming back from the dead, and the Kagura is meant to kind of welcome them and help them return, like the the Raigo is such an interesting concept for them to warp here. Um yeah. and once you understand that it's it's a it's a twisted rigo you can start to see why the moon is in play because the moon is such a potent symbol of enlightenment in Buddhism. And then you can start to see the correlations between enlightenment and death in this game and enlightenment and losing your memory and enlightenment and like kind of having your ego reduced. And you're like, Oh, this is all such this really interesting warped take on Buddhism, but you wouldn't get there unless you, unless you had a couple of little hints along the way. Right. And you can see it in every portion of this game. Like if you look at the wall on the cave, on one of the caves, there's like this carving of a dragon coiled on top of a Lotus flower. And if you know where everything's coming from, you're like, Oh, that's so cool. Like spiritual power and enlightenment. But again, if you just know right of descent, you'll never know how to get
0: there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that, um, that, that, that feeling of, of, what does what does enlightenment mean and like you say the 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 you know what happens to the ego and and what happens to the sense of self and and this is a story about our protagonist trying to understand her sense of self and rediscover who she is and what is perception and what is reality and how do you how do you determine your own sense of individuality and and it it it's all there's there is a lot of there's not a lot of but there is there is a small sort of uh uh, cottage industry of of uh horror game youtubers who Mm -hmm. will sometimes dip into the world of fatal frame and there are some people who um have have a, an understanding have a more holistic understanding of the series and some that don't and you can usually
1: tell pretty quickly when some people and, don't as with many franchises as someone who spends a lot of time in silent hill this is a very common phenomenon yes. and someone who spends a lot of time in final fantasy this is a very <laughs> yeah. common phenomenon absolutely um but there's
0: yeah there's a very i, I find specifically with fatal frame 4 that mm-hmm. that a lot of people and and maybe it's because the nature of the translation, the fan translation we right. had for so long, made it a little more difficult to understand, yep. um, and and because I think fewer English speakers had played it, so there wasn't the 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 pool of of discourse that you could pull from. Uh, right. But I, I find that this is a game that a lot of people either don't understand or think there isn't anything to understand or think that um th- there's not a lot to pull out of this game and and one of the things that i hope this remaster does and and having a more followable translation um is is really showing people that there there is a strong story here and there is a a strong strong character arcs and strong um strong protagonist and a strong antagonist and that that all of these i don't know it's it's a tough one
1: i might i might actually be able to help you sell that idea yeah i might i might because first uh, like let's talk about the difference between you know scenario and world lore yeah a scenario is just who are your characters and what are they doing yeah and you can understand that in fatal frame 4 very very easily And I think, you know, when I was listening to you describe your understanding of the the main character of the game, I think it really hit home for me. Part of why I'm so attracted to this particular story, it's because Mm -hmm. of the scenario of Ruka. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I I like all three scenarios, but there's something about Ruka's... um, In a strong story, a strong character arc, you should be able to identify certain things about the characters. Like there's um, oftentimes what you call like the flaw, the mistaken belief that they have. Yeah. And if you successfully deal with the mistaken belief, you you work your way from what they think they want to what they really need. And often those don't look a lot alike. Like to use an overused example, Star Wars. When Star Wars starts... Luke, uh, let's Luke. get into Cambellian monomyth, baby. Let's go <laughs> when When Star Wars first starts, Luke thinks he wants to be an Imperial pilot. Mm-hmm. He wants to go to the pilot Academy. That's what he wants. He wants to go hang out with his friends. But that's not what he wants at all. He doesn't want to join the Empire. He needs to be a Jedi. So mm-hmm. whatever. Oh, we'll go too deep into that, but really easy example. In this game, you have Ruka, who's caught up in this question, I will never be anyone if I don't have my past. Mm -hmm. Who am I if I don't know where I came from? And so if I don't remember my childhood, does my childhood exist? If my childhood doesn't exist, do I exist? So she goes Mm -hmm. on this whole journey to find her past and her father and her home. And she is able to realize that who you are isn't dependent on knowing where you come from. Like you Mm -hmm. are who you are and you can decide who you are. Mm -hmm. And- that gets kind of caught up with her making meaning of her past and becoming this person. And you can contrast that to another character who's caught up on reclaiming what was lost Mm -hmm. that, you know, her belief is I need to get back what was lost to be whole. And in her case, what you want and what you need again, aren't the same thing, but, I don't think she's as successful as ruka in overcoming the flaw and then the, the way that plugs into the story is awesome and so i think th- on the character level there isn't a lot to dig for on the character level on the scenario level but i'll give you an example of how on the world lore level there's a lot to dig for and it's gone pretty sideways So when you load into the game in the Japanese version of the 2008 version, it tells you this game takes place in the 1980s. Do we,
0: do we know what year do we yet? Have Specifically, we I
1: have a, I have a pretty strong idea. Okay. Um, it says it takes place in the 1980s, but the fan translation said this takes place in 1980. Ah. It missed, it missed that little crucial that little crucial thing right right so 80s means anywhere between 80 and 90 whereas 80 means 80 yeah so even today you can find lots of materials that say oh yes this game goes through what happened in 1970 because it's 10 years before (laughs) 1980 (laughs) (laughs) and it's like no it takes place in the 1970s and one of the reasons that's so important from a world building and lore perspective is that I think it actually takes place in the late 1980s, 1980, you know, uh, somewhere between 86 and 89, Um, probably eight or nine. I would say nine makes the most sense, 89. But I think it lines up with the other games in the series right around the same time period. They all kind of take place around that time period. But if you understand a little bit about history, you can then work some of the references back so in the 1970s, they say, oh, you know, the, the, this was resurrected as a tourist festival 30 years ago. And if you think there's not a lot to dig for in the lore, you'll go, yeah, OK, yeah, 30 years ago. That's the time frame. It's been a tourist thing for 30 years. Well, if you know a little bit of the history, you can go 70s, so like 78, 68, 58, 48. 48, 40. What was going hmm. on in Japan hmm. in 1948? <laughs> Interesting. Why would why would an island in the <laughs> south of Japan be really capitalizing on the tourist industry just before 1950? Yeah. And once you realize that, you're like, oh, okay, so it's like there's you know they're having you know the post war. Uh, the post-war recovery the post-war you know it's safe to travel again it's safe to make money again so they're capitalizing off of that they're Mm -hmm. bringing in western medicine western technology they're really rebuilding after the war and then you can start working your way back from there when was the last time the ritual was held and that was held probably around like 1909 to 1912 the end of the meiji era just before world war one that's when cameras are coming out when radios are coming out and that's when the folklorist comes in and he sees the old ritual so you can see that like this is around the time that the government was working on chipping away at all of the different shinto style religions that were out there and really consolidating power and eradicating all these beliefs and that's why that's why the folklorist was there to document these beliefs that were going away and then they vanished during the world wars and came back afterwards and then you can go back before that and you can see how it worked in the edo period and like just again the attention to detail there's so much to dig for on the world level even if not the scenario level yeah i wonder It, it, it do you think there's something to be
0: said for those those sort of demarcations in time and those being times of where where something kind of goes amiss and something kind of goes wrong with a ritual or something gets misunderstood by someone or you know like there's these there's these clear points in time where it's saying like i i don't listen I don't know what Shibata's politics are. I I don't know how he feels about globalism or, you know, but but it I I I always find it interesting that there are, you know, even even in Five, it's the folklorist who comes to town and leads leads the 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 woman astray sort of thing. There's like an interloper comes in whether it's an individual or or it's a it's a cultural shift and and something something buckles under that and you know ultimately things will usually end up being okay but there are these times of of strife and it's it's uh old traditions meeting new ideas and 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 i think four is really really nails that because it is so it you you are in a you are in a building that is Western influenced. Um, you are you are reading logs about people. The the push and pull between traditional medicine and pseudoscience, and what is actual science, and what medicine really works, and what doesn't. I,
1: I it really does nail that, and I think you're right. I think I think if you look at every game, there's that same basic formula of you know here's a ritual that was developed from. History, we've lost Mm -hmm. it's so old, it's history.
0: We don't even know why it works anymore, we just know that we have to do it
1: (laughs) right. It's that culture that's developed over a thousand years, yeah, a thousand years of merging Shinto and Buddhism and wrapping it around this Yomi gate. And Mm -hmm. you don't really understand where it came from or how it works, you just know that somewhere in the middle Edo period, it went sideways, yeah. Um. And once it gets really, like, I think that's the first time frame that you really see in the game is the peak of it functioning, the peak of the culture, the peak of the function of the ritual in the middle Edo period. And then you see the next stage which is the decline when the folklorist shows up and everything goes wrong i like to joke that the inventor of the camera obscura is the cause of and solution to everything that's ever gone wrong in japanese (laughs) spirituality he's this secret villain of the franchise yeah um so you have that era, like right around, you know, 1900, to 1912, when you got cameras and radios and, and everything. You know, so that's your second one. And then the third one is, I assume the heyday of Shabbat's youth, the, the 80s, the, the time sure. that he thinks is, you know, when he thinks back of where am I going to set this story? Oh, nostalgically, you know, in this period, which I didn't realize until I was exploring fatal frame for but like when i, I think i do the same thing when i go to write a story that has like a lot of my own thoughts into it it ends up right around 2007 2010 i'm like okay i can see probably why he sets this in the 80s all the time this is exactly why i wanted to have this episode um i'm imagining like someone who doesn't know that i like horror just like wait he actually knows about fatal frame <laughs>
0: <laughs> how long are they gonna keep joke? this bit going <laughs> um some of the some of the symbolism of four that really hit me this time was and and maybe you can talk about this as as far as translation goes but Mm -hmm. the the significance of the lunar eclipse uh Mm -hmm. its relationship to the mask of the lunar eclipse what what these masks represent and 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 again you know concealing or revealing the self and and i know i know you know a little bit about how that localization worked so can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that
1: yeah like i'm glad you asked me this today and not last week because i actually i feel like i didn't understand the last tiny little bit of it until i read the again the deluxe edition art I, book with the aren't these things series. great I really, aren't they I fantastic i worth i was I not expecting i got my money's worth yeah, 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 and I like. I'm gonna be fair. Like, if if you've never played Fatal Frame before, if this is your first experience with it ever, it very much is a remake of a 2008 Wii game. So yes. it may not live up to your standards of a $50 game in 2023. But as someone who loved the original, this is easily $50 worth of polish. Yeah, easily. So but... uh,
0: I I've been I've been enjoying uh eh, enjoying quote unquote. A lot of people who have taken issue with some of the uh, uh leftover textures and models <laughs> from the Wii version. Because Not
1: all of them got the level of polish yeah. others did.
0: They really front loaded the trailers and things with all of the new character models and the the new yeah. costume designs and things that have all had a really lovely upgrade. Um and there there are some assets most of the assets, a lot of the textures, the walls, everything is still left over from a 2008 Wii game. And some people won't be into that. I personally, I love it. I think it gives such a wonderful sense of place and time. And it's it's not only a period piece, but it's a period piece from a period at this point, And I think... I think that's charming and delightful. I
1: hope I hope everyone will see it that way in yeah. in retrospect. But to answer your question yes. specifically, um the part that it helped me understand I think was the the idea um he was inspired by kind of like no masks, like stage masks and mm-hmm. the idea that the 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 intricacy of the carvings and the way you look at them from different angles it's supposed to be able to evoke states of mind and emotions and he went hard on this idea like in this game it's literal these mask makers are so skilled that you look at the mask or you put on the mask and you feel or become what it is literally through the power of the mask that's how good the you know um so if you like carve a mask of someone who is the quintessential platonic form of someone who can play a flute you can play a flute and so once I understood that he really was going that hard on the the craftsmanship of the masks I think I understood the last little bit of it very deeply um, where to start where to start so on this island in the history of the culture there are no kami there are no gods there are no deities there are only spirits it's very deep uh, animism ancestor worship what it's very much inspired by whatever came before Shinto as we know it. Right. Um, And on this island, they have a lot of worship of the sun and the moon. And the sun is supposed to be the representation of all of the things of the physical world. Mm -hmm. So the sun lights up the physical world and what you can see and the things you can touch and feel and things that really are and what's outside of your body. Whereas the moon reflects memory and personality and all of the things that are inside yeah. So they have this already this duality system and ancestor worship feeding into the Shinto and Buddhism fusion that we know kind of from the modern age and it all gets tied together by the Edo period. And the way they choose to express this inner self and the nature of being close to death on the days that a lunar eclipse comes is through the masks. So the idea is that since the moon represents the soul when there's a lunar eclipse. And if you look at the, like the characters used in Japanese for this, it actually, it's like to eat the moon, to chip away at the moon. Um, So they believe that this chips away and eats your soul when this time comes and you actually like lean towards the world of the dead and the dead come back to the world of the living. Um, So the lunar eclipse is both a a magical and terrifying time. And so they welcome the spirits back and help them return uh, through a Kagura, like a dance. And traditionally in Kagura, what you do is you put on the mask of a Kami, you become that Kami. Hmm. And in... Again, not a Japanese scholar. Very loose <laughs> description. If sure. you are a Japanese professional, <clears throat> please forgive me for any imprecision on my part. But And
0: I'll gladly have, if you are out there and listening, I'll gladly have you on the next episode of Rogetsu Dropouts, which happens do every it, month. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah usually you would be you would be taking in some kind of divine spiritual energy and in this case it's it's more to do with life and death in the soul and the way they've brought the masks into that where you can actually carve the moment of death mm-hmm. carve the experience of death um be able to call down the power of the lunar eclipse it's all very very cool i love it i listen i'm someone who
0: has loved the moon as a concept my whole <laughs> life i'm i'm not a i'm not a, an astrologically leaning person i'm i i i'm not the witchiest person in the world i just love the moon i love this the way cultures have interpreted the moon i love what it does the place it it um holds in human evolution and cultural evolution and title like i think the moon is the coolest thing on the planet this is one of the things that fatal frame
1: does so well every single game every single time it taps into something that we all just are drawn to deep down on some level we can't understand. And I have tried, I have tried to come up with similar ideas that he hasn't done. And I struggle, but like, look at it, like all of the things that like, if you wanted to really entrance a kindergartner, like you would bring these things like the moon, butterflies, masks, music, tattoos, water. Like it's, it's all of those magical things about the world. And I think that they capture that that so well in a way that just I don't see a lot of other people doing.
0: One of the things that I, I think I love about four is and I maybe I'm repeating myself, but it's it's a sense of place that mm-hmm. is just so profoundly detailed and fleshed out and, and even with its wee textures and and polygon count. I I truly never get tired of being in this space. I Same. I think I uh, uh, I don't I don't know what I would do. I, I remember the first time. Um, this is uh, spoilers for late game barely, but the first time you get out onto the beach, the Tsukiyomi uh, yep. uh, beach, and you realize you've been. Basically inside the entire time, or even getting out into the courtyard um, next to the pool, um, there's there's these. It's punctuated by these moments where you get to stand in moonlight, and every single one of them feels so powerful and and so deliberate and and well paced. And I ah, uh, I just can't get enough. Couldn't of agree. It.
1: Couldn't agree more. And yeah. I'm 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 really glad they kept the the translation is sukiyomi. Um yes. Yeah, because they that felt like I was really nervous they were going to just steamroll right over that one like some of the others. Yeah, um yeah. Like I was saying before if you if you pay attention to the deep lore of the game you notice that there are no kami on the island and sukiyomi is one of the the big 3 like one of yeah. the big 3 kami but if you remember that there's no such thing as kami on this island why the hell did they name it Suki Yomi? And then you you remember? Wait, hold up, hold Yomi. up. Yomi Suki Moon Moon Yomi, Yomi. Under Whoa! the Lunar Underworld. Ah! Ah! So <laughs> it's a great name, and they're not not every piece of great great wordplay made it through and survived. I don't think a lot of people are going to care. I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. I don't think it takes away from the game. but again in some places it just prevents you from being able to google it but i'm glad they kept sukiyomi because that one is such a cool cool idea the lunar underworld it's such a it's such a simplistic pun it's such a cheap pun but but it's beautiful it it hits me it hits me it's like it lands perfectly regardless of how much of it like i'm sure a japanese dad joke it is it's it hits me really well there's just an
0: immense amount of beauty in that and i i I think i think they understand that i I it's one of those things where I always I get my hackles up a bit when people talk about you know like um, the the subtitles for like Kingdom Hearts games or something mm-hmm. you know where they seem like they're just a word salad or like this or or the way Hideo Kojima names his games sometimes you know they they just seem like I find a lot of people are very very critical of these but they are always so deeply rooted in the story they are trying to tell and like if you take apart a, a kingdom hearts games subtitle if you ask tetsuya nomura about it he he has answers you know like yeah like kojima always has a reason for naming things the names may sound goofy on the surface but he's always got at least five layers of why he named it that thing and i think there's I love beauty kojima in that names. intention
1: yeah yeah because they're so like again you like you say you really have to think about them to see all the layers but you know like on the surface layer it's like one really obvious thing and it's always like two names that are like hyper masculine random words shoved together like you're just waiting for like a villain named like grape wrath and (laughs) then you have like (laughs) a a woman named for a feminine quality that is not an embodiment of that feminine quality at all yeah yeah. so like i i'm thinking about like the first one that comes to mind is like fragile so you've got like grape wrath and then (laughs) pliant and then you've got like one random guy that's you the stand-in todd and Again, like you say, when you really go through, you can see that he has so many reasons for choosing these things. Yeah. But he has such staples that he sticks to that it's if you've followed the games, it kind of jumps out at you and makes you laugh a little bit. I love Kojima. Too. Totally. I, I was
0: just talking to a friend of mine this morning about how the the the, the two uh, uh, confirmed uh, bisexual characters in the Metal Gear universe are named Vamp and Dr. Strangelove and and just how like <laughs> okay we get it <laughs> like, uh but but at least you know w- even when it's things like the the puns in fatal frame there's something mm-hmm. about just that that level of attention and and level of intention that i think um really really elevates a work and really lets you you know i I'm usually experiencing art because I want to learn a little something about who made it. And and I think Fatal Frame is a great series for that in the same way that things like Metal Gear are. You learn a lot about Kojima playing Metal Gear. Uh, and I think
1: I think you learn a lot about Shibata uh, playing Fatal Frame. I've learned a lot about a lot of things playing Fatal Frame yeah. just because <laughs> of my levels of curiosity and wanting to know what inspired things and where they come from. There's so much to dig through and some of it's it's very, very surprising when you actually find out, wow, he really did think very deeply about this and where it yeah. came from. And if you like if you don't know much about Japanese culture, it turns out like wordplay and puns is a very big part of the culture. Like yeah. Fatal Frame has led me to um, in, in trying to understand for I, I ended up stumbling all over all these books from the from the Meiji era, right around 1900. Yeah. Um, when Japan was kind of opening up and people were writing those first international books for them and trying to help people understand them. And like a lot of folklore they were trying to preserve, a lot of ghost stories they were trying to preserve, a lot of new experiences they were trying to look, you know. And one of the things I come up in Every single one of these books that's translated into English is someone will be like, there are a lot of great haikus on this topic, but they all involve so many levels of wordplay that it's not worth translating them for you here. (laughs) So it would be completely impossible to like just yeah. Huge part of the culture. So if you've ever found anyone being critical of of people using too many puns in the localization of other games you may or may not have heard of. Just know that they're actually celebrating a very Japanese cultural concept.
0: Oh, I'm getting a weird headache. I can't perceive anything you're saying right now for some reason. It's very strange. (laughs) I I think 4, for me, also manages to just hit... Like I said about the moon, I, I think it hits a lot of symbols that mean a lot to me. Um, specifically the moon, uh, the, the lighthouse at the end of the game. Mm. Uh, I, <laughs> I have always wanted to just like be a lighthouse keeper. I don't know where it came <laughs> from. I don't know what it is about my personality. Uh, if I could live the rest of my life manning a lighthouse on a cape somewhere... I would probably be a very happy man. Um, I don't know if
1: it's like a coincidence that like we both have thought of that. Or if it's just <laughs> we all like secretly deep down are, are, are attracted to the idea of just like leaving it all behind. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> a, a, a life of solitude that is symbolically helpful to the greater good, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I also... It was very strange. I actually had a conversation with my dad maybe a year or two ago where I brought it up and and he told me uh, well i I tried to do that when I was in my twenties i he 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 was scoping out like what are the remaining active lighthouses in the area and he was he was very interested in becoming a lighthouse keeper. I thought that was I, very... all
1: all I'd need is good internet like if you can if you can find yes. a way to get the lighthouse, the lighthouse like stable internet. I will never leave it again. Absolutely. Um but uh and the the other thing like you say is also
0: the masks and the 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 uh ties to no theater. And um I'm a theater major. I'm an actor. Uh, that's what I do. I, I I only make so much money doing this. Um my my fallback is my acting career uh, in in theater specifically. Uh, so yeah, I I find that I, I really gravitate, um, to, to games that you can tell have that sort of influence. Um, uh, there's a, a director by the name of, uh, Takashi Tokida, who, uh, also studied theater and he made a game again, I'm getting this weird headache, Final Fantasy four. Um, and he, you, you can definitely see the, the, the operatic and, and theatrical influences behind that. Um, and the other one is sakura wars i have to mention it every single (laughs) episode because that's my personality um but again it's it's another game that is set in the backdrop of a a melding of eastern and western culture and a time of of not strife but like you know potential they are they are crossing a rubicon into a new era and from that evil finds purchase on in the hearts of men um but it's it's also about a theater troupe and uh and and what that can do for for a culture and 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 how to have um how to have shared experience with with a group mm-hmm. of people and and how you can bring people together around something and and theater has always been it's literally always been the thing that we do to bring people together and yep. and share in an experience so for fatal frame to have that and the the tension between shared experience and where does that end and you begin um i i just find so beautiful um and i think sakuya really... is is one of the most like beautiful uh, uh
1: villains in in the series hands hands down sakuya um sakuya is my favorite of yeah. the ghosts in the whole series um yeah. the the way she comes up like the basement stairs that repeated scene throughout the game with like the, the old kimono and the blooming face. messes me up Blossoming every single face. time. Blossoming. How dare you? Blossoming. Face. <laughs> yeah. That's it's ingrained into my memory. It's such a, she's such a great design. I think
0: that's my favorite shot cinematically in the entire series, especially, um, I think it's maybe in a Choshiro chapter where it's his flashback of it and it's the grainy black and white and it's so slow and it's so painful to watch just her slowly coming up over the, the edge of the stairs and the angle, the camera angle that they chose for it is horrifying. It's perfect. Yeah, and then and then present day him where she is now coming up the stairs once more is
1: just Oh, it's Kino, baby. It's it's amazing. The <laughs> There's one shot that's not in the game, and I'm yes. really upset about it. Um, If you look at the original 2008 trailer, you can tell that there are some cutscenes that were in the pre-release trailer mm-hmm. that feature some parts of the story from that that would, did not make it into the final version. Um, It looks like they kind of rearrange the timeline a bit. They, they rearrange the order of events a little bit right um but there's a scene that didn't make it into the game where you have sakuya in the place that the ritual was originally held in the old days and it it looks like it's it's during the the moment where the ritual originally went wrong but in the trailer you can see her for a brief moment and she's just like very gracefully levitating and she's got both of her arms out at her side with her hair flowing up around her and yeah. like the blooming the blossoming coming out from her face. And it's like, I am so upset that's not in the game, and I, I need know. to know what it's from because it's like <laughs> beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I wish I had like a really nice version of that shot for Saki because I, I do. I love her so much as as the antagonist in this game. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Someday someday one of us will get an interview with shibata for some reason <laughs> and just we'll... beg him to release the original artwork <laughs> yeah yeah because uh, because as good as the the digital art book is uh with this new re-release it only makes me want more it only makes me want to <laughs> see more of the preliminary versions more of the whatever yeah. suda's script looked like before it got completely <laughs> redone by shibata an amazing story (laughs) there are so many i mean if if you're listening to this and you are at all interested in the series or specifically fatal frame 4 there's some really good interviews um specifically about 4 but also about the series in general there's even uh because the 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 game after this um came out uh in the uk there's a, a really good iwata asks that has been translated into english um with uh Shibata about about that title. But I find that four really brings out some some interesting interviews um with the staff. And it also brings out a lot of really interesting writing. Um, mm. I think th- there's not a ton of it, but what you can find online I find really compelling. Um, yeah. There's a wonderful essay um i'll try and put it in the show notes but it's about the fatal frame and it's it's use of the folklorist and sort of it's um i mean we can't get into this today but i find there's a topic that i think nobody touches when it comes to fatal frame and there's it it plays with gender in a really uninteresting way that i think people think is more interesting than it actually is because there's a real sort of gender essentialism to who gets to play the role of folklorist, who gets to play. Oh, I absolutely the... agree. And and I don't think
1: I I'd love to do a whole episode about this, but there's oh, um... I would be. I would it, I would be happy to hear your thoughts on that because I find I find the gender roles in this game to be very obvious and very important to the series. I mean, it's yeah. even not just not just who's allowed to be a folklorist, but what it means to be a spiritually sensitive person who's able to yeah. take part in these rituals. Like you have to meet very gendered scripts to even be the right person for the job. Absolutely. I think I think there was uh,
0: especially at the time of their release i i think uh games criticism hadn't quite reached a point where we were able to s- say anything beyond either a, a a horror game starring women girl power <laughs> yeah. and and then the flip side was why am I playing this scared teenage Japanese girl who can't even run? You know, like that was, that was the level of criticism and analysis of gender and fatal frame that we got in the two thousands. And I, I think we can move beyond that. And there are some really interesting conversations to have.
1: Now, um, at least we're at the point of like, really, you know, you were going to an abandoned Island to you know, look through ruins and you wore those shoes. You wore that. Like... Oh boy. Uh, that's,
0: Look, the costume design in these games is so good. It's so it is.
1: good. And that's like the, the, the funny alone. tragedy. I wish <laughs> the, in all seriousness, 100% seriousness, they think so deeply about these outfits and how they connect their personalities and yeah. themes of the game and the color schemes of the game. And it's such this twist of ironic fate that they never match the you would never wear this outfit (laughs) to the place you're going and i really wish instead of like some outrageous weird outfit i really wish one outfit for each character per game was what that character actually would have worn if they know they were going to like asbestos falling from the ceiling (laughs) ruins
0: (laughs) like yeah yeah. A long sleeve, some some uh some Levi's and uh Yeah,
1: like nice tight fitting, <laughs> good boots, pockets, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um is is there anything else you wanna you wanna add
1: before we start to wrap no, up? No, we we've, we've hit pretty much everything. I just um I'm glad I'm glad someone else likes this franchise. That's really the big thing. Is I yeah easily it's easily without a doubt no hesitation in my mind whatsoever objective quality wise to the history of horror gaming fatal frame is up there in the traditional playstation 2 era with silent hill and resident evil and clock tower and all of the ones that we talk about it's it's quality wise and its place in the world it's up there and it just doesn't have the reputation it deserves for being such an important milestone along the way
0: with that in mind and with these with uh maiden of black waters remaster Mm -hmm. and this inexplicable never in a thousand years did i ever think it would happen official localization of mask of the lunar eclipse what do you think is the future of fatal frame and what are your, what are your hopes? What are your pipe dreams for what you'd like the future of the series
1: to be? I'm glad you asked both of those because those are very different questions.
0: I know um, you always have in,
1: two answers to every in question. In my <laughs> world. Yes, I do. I do. I have, a split third. I have, I'm actually like usually like following three or four lines of logic. And then I realize that like each one is a reflection of my heart in a different angle. Um, <laughs> no for me those those are not the same thing yeah. uh so i think simultaneously that's sad in a way because it's so contradictory but i'd also i think it's comforting in a way because now i know i'm going to be happy no matter what happens so the naive selfish part of me that's going entirely off of what do i want i want all 5 games remade in this engine like the the same type of design and standards that they had for Blackwater and Lunar Eclipse. I would love the, to see them take the, the assets of the Packy slot remake of FF one yeah, and plug that in and remake FF one uh, in this engine, in this way, in this style. I yeah. think they should take uh, deep crimson butterfly and just give it the full lunar eclipse treatment and release mm-hmm. that. And then the only one they have to do from scratch is three. And I think saving, saving that for last would be interesting because it capped the old trilogy and it was a better game than a lot of people gave it credit for. Um, I think, I think three had a lot of looping in the middle and just going through the mansion again and again and again, and that it really dominated people's memory of what the game was. is just looping the mansion. Yeah. But if you, if you set that part aside, it was a really great game and it never really got the, the praise it deserves, um, So I would love to have the whole fatal frame history, Shibata's Mm -hmm. life's work, uh, Mm -hmm. all in one standard stewardable to the future, PC patchable. We could all like, you know, mod in our own preferred localization levels (laughs) and jargon. If we wanted to just archive it for posterity, the amazing thing this man has accomplished. That's my stupid pie in the sky, naive child pipe dream. Um, the other part of me knows that probably the smart thing to do, the good business sense thing to do, is to leverage the success of Blackwater and Lunar Eclipse's momentum mm-hmm. to sell a new pitch for Fatal Frame 6. Yeah. And to say that they want it to be a reinvention. They want it to be a a full, true upgrade and really bring 2023 horror to 2023 platforms in a 2023 standard and yeah. reintroduce people to Japanese horror the same way today that we did back with The Ring to you know see if you could trigger another interest in J horror now that sure. we are more globalized we have more open minds we do want to learn more than we used to and see if maybe Fatal Frame 6 would be the new Fatal Frame 1 the new the new launch point of a new interest in this thing because I think if they did it right they could pull it off i think it would be a challenge and it's not guaranteed but that it would be worth trying maybe
0: yeah that's uh yeah that's like you say now would be the time to do that because because to to get that up to the standards they would need a budget uh uh which
1: they the timing is perfect because capcom capcom just kicked in the door with bringing horror back to its roots they uh, they took the risk and they pulled it off they nailed it so hard even konami's coming back (laughs) to its to its horror roots yeah konami so in the in the atmosphere of resident evil and silent hill thriving you might be able you might be able to just give give Horror the like the push it needs to get people to understand a little bit more about it so that they don't see it all as a ripoff of the ring and maybe in the meantime uh capcom will give us that haunting ground remake
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) good luck yeah (laughs) um yeah i'm i should sell my copy first (laughs) oh oh my gosh oh my gosh (laughs) uh I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm of a similar mind. I, I think, I think if there was ever a time to, to get a six, um, in the works, it would be now. Uh, my, my dream is pretty similar to yours, but I think what I also, and maybe this is just my hashtag nineties kid, uh, sensibilities, but I think there's a market, uh, for embracing the retro sensibilities of the original trilogy and capturing that era of early 2000s J-horror and that that moment when, you know, things were found footage and everything had a CRT glow. And I would love if a a re-release of the original trilogy embraced you know give us that crt filter we don't you know go go for the lo-fi uh feel of it all i think there's a place because i don't know if people are necessarily open to a just cleaned up uh 4k resolution uh 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 remaster of these games unless there's a sort of holistic embracing of an era gone by i think i think if you marketed the original fatal frame as you know the haunted video game or whatever like i don't know if you played uh, a nameless game or Game for for the ds No, but I I will like I'll (laughs) do it right now. It's it's a harder
1: game I haven't played and it's good. Tell me, I'm gone. It's
0: fantastic. It's a it's by Square and it's uh it's one of the DS games that you hold on the side for most of it, but the rest of it is like a a haunted Dragon Quest clone that you play through a a replicated DS interface, um and it's incredible.
1: You should play it. You
0: should absolutely play it
1: yeah i'm gonna like the dm me the name and i'll just spend yeah spend the rest of the weekend on it i will there's a great actually, fan translation it's super short yeah well while, while you were talking about it my mind just started like building this picture with your words and i think i think they could pull it off right, hear me out like if you look if you look at like the way you develop games, you would think what comes next? What's what, where are we moving to? Mm -hmm. How are we going to use this new technology? How are we going to use these new ideas? Well, if you look at the 2000s fatal frame, Shibata was caught up in the eighties yeah. So the 90s are progress. The 90s are what's coming next. Yeah. Moving moving from the late 80s to the mid 90s from a Fatal Frame perspective is technically progress. Right. And that would be a great way to bring back in, like, again, the, the CRT, the handheld cameras, the found footage. You could do... Certain, and again, in Fatal Frame, you're usually using, you know, 1900s cameras. Yeah. Right? And I think that there's a way to keep... Using all of those inspirations and figure out how to fuse them with the 1990s style. And again, mm-hmm. the 1990s are kind of like we're all feeling kind of nostalgic for it right now. I think, totally. I think the pandemic has made it every year at once. Um, we are <laughs> <Yeah>. all ret- <laughs> retreating into our safe space of whatever uh-huh. our favorite decade is, and now like I walk into a store and there's fashion from every single decade at once. <laughs> yeah. So like, as 90s as 90s stuff comes back around. Um, yeah i could i would love to go through that in in a, in a relaunch of fatal frame yeah i think i think there's potential there
0: even even superficially even as a like
1: yeah.
0: remember when this game came out kind of yeah. uh, a veneer to put 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 on the marketing or the 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 packaging of this as a product but but I also think there are there are elements of that you can incorporate into the game and and like I say, even just CRT filters are an easy way to do that. But like, <laughs> there's there's something there. I think there's something to capitalize on there. To close the episode, I. Oh, I actually do have a couple questions from some of the listeners of the show on Discord.
1: But really?
0: uh, you'll you'll have to forgive me. I'm not exactly sure what they're referring to. This one okay. just says, um, Moose, where do you think we're going in 7.0? I don't, again, I'm, I have a ringing in my head that I can't quite get rid of. I'm not sure what, what this am, means.
1: I'm, I don't know. I'm going to try to channel a spirit. Yeah, please do. And i'll i'll see if it inspires me to answer the question i'm sorry if this sounds like i'm speaking in tongues sure i'm this just is gonna all, go i'm gonna yeah. go with whatever the spirit tells me thank you um put your mask tells on. me that put your mask on <laughs> the the mask of someone who knows the answer to this question <laughs> carved by an expert artisan <laughs> of the yomotsuki line um I think I would say that I am a very I'm very much a make a guess and stick with it until it's untenable kind of guy. Um, If for no other reason than the fun, like it's fun to hold on to an idea and figure out how it can work until the point that it's not fun to be the person who's obviously denying reality. Sure. Yeah. So (laughs) my initial guess was the new world and I'm going to stick with it Um, because to me it feels like an obvious choice what have we done lately in the game? We've seen other dimensions. We've seen other planets. We've seen other timelines. It's all so grandiose and distant. And uh-huh. I uh-huh. I know what one thing they want to do now that they've closed that saga is ground the story. I think that's really, you, you know, no more warrior of light. You're an adventurer. No, yeah. And I think they want to. I think they want to, like, take us back to level one and build us up again. Yeah. And I think a really good way to do that is to take away all of that stuff again. Take mm. away the shards, take away the planets, take away the sea of stars, focus on the source. And what do we have on the source? We've seen 50% of the planet Yeah. spin it around, put us essentially level one in the middle of a world we know nothing about and have never heard of. And build us right back up again to something new. And then by the time you get around to another pie-in-the-sky ending saga story you can close off two, you can two halves of the planet coming together in one bigger story and you yeah. can bring it all back again. So I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick with the new world just because the marketing writes itself. Like why yeah. shouldn't you quit final fantasy 14 now that the story is quote unquote over? Because it's not, there's a whole new world yeah. to explore. Of course. Uh, so that's that's my answer for now until it becomes untenable. But y- Yoshi P is very much a subvert expectations guy. He's very much a rule of cool guy. Yeah, one meeting where someone gives him an idea and he thinks that's going to sell better. All that logic's out the window. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see where it goes. Uh,
0: and then the other one we have here is uh, with the with the flavor text for Longinus and the existence of Gnosticism and Zoroastrianism in Maricidia When are we going to meet Jesus? <laughs> <laughs>
1: When we need the ultimate villain, be- because, because I have found <laughs> I found that in Japanese media, the more Christian it looks, the more suspicious you would be. Yeah. Um, and I I made this joke when we first bought Final Fantasy 13, because, again, I was coming out of my, sh- you know, shitty, cringy teenage years and into my more cynical, jaded teenage years. Sure. And so as we're loading up 13, I'm like, all right, everyone look for the most religious person (laughs) that's the bad guy and we get 10 minutes into the story and i'm like oh my god it's the freaking pope this guy must be the most evil person in the universe and then cut to the end of the game we are like wheezing laughing as this guy is coming out like so yeah we'll meet jesus when we need like the true ultimate big bad Cool. And I think cool. like Ishgard has already set us up for that because like <laughs> they, they were afraid to even use the word Pope in English. <laughs> yeah. so he's, yeah. an, he's an archbishop now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I I mean speaking speaking of games with rich cosmologies that aren't understood by most of the people who played the game, Final Fantasy thirteen is due for a a a nice in-depth analysis of what was going on with its pantheon and it's the 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 metaphysics of how that world works
1: because i i need to play it again with a with a from an adult perspective yeah um when it was just final fantasy 13 alone in a vacuum Mm -hmm. i i think i was pretty critical of it yeah um and it was like you know, fifty percent hallways, fifty percent turtles was was my memory of it at the time. But then I remember, I as cynical as I was about thirteen two because of how much ten two felt like an attempt to kind of cash in on the popularity of it. Thirteen two is really good. I I well, I really love good. ten two
0: and I love thirteen two. I think thirteen two. I, I have grown. I have grown to love ten two quite a lot. Yeah. But yeah,
1: yeah no, thirteen two is good. Um. And I feel like if you take the whole trilogy of 13 as a single entity, it's very easy to let go of virtually all of my criticisms of of part one. Sure. And yeah. so what I want to do is I want to go back and I want to look at it from, <clears throat> from an adult perspective and also someone who understands that far too much of the story is in the data log. It is told, not shown. And I want to see if you, if you read the data log, and don't let yourself get caught up in the apophenia of oh, it looks like this, so it's true. Um, yeah. You really try to systemically, coherently understand the story and put it together. Does does something really rich come together, or does it look like Nomura's kind of convoluted means deep, right, guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think I I stand by
0: that. I think I think there's cool stuff happening in in thirteen, uh, even from a even from a fan of religious studies uh even just from like a what what is this world trying to say with its gods and what are those mm. gods trying to accomplish and mm. I, I think there's a lot of fun stuff in there especially when you kind of get to lightning returns i i think in general i think lightning returns is an excellent game um on just about all fronts um
1: but yeah i think i need to give it another i i really feel that adult me needs to give it a sincere like clean mind chance yeah i i
0: if you do i would love to talk to you about it because i i think there's really cool stuff in there um and it's actually it takes place in the same universe as 14 because did you see the Alligans? they use the (laughs) same enemies from ff13 did you know that moose did you did know, know that? that
1: i i didn't know i didn't know that it took place in the same world this is breaking yeah. breaking new information and please go tell new everyone information. that information uh that's oh, that's one of my man.
0: favorite fun facts to drop when because i i i take a lot of uh a lot of the people on the discord i'll schedule like whoever hasn't done binding coil let's go binding coil or something i'll be like did you know that <laughs> this enemy asset is you know that's one of my my favorite Doesn't
1: things it, like do. still say pulse on the side of the <laughs> yeah. model
0: <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> um anyway whoa, whoa. oh whoa i oh, i feel like i just woke up from some kind of strange dream uh anyway um i guess that's it for for this episode of rogetsu dropouts thank you so much to my very special guest anonymous moose it's it's been a delight to have you moose uh, where can people find you and do you have anything going on right now that you would like to
1: plug nowhere and no no um <laughs> good first off i'm like I, i'm honored to even be invited i'm i'm so happy someone even wanted to talk about fatal frame and for for kind of a snarky episode i think this is a lot of fun <laughs> i don't know what um, you're talking about <laughs> no, we we do this every week where can we be where can i be found right now i haven't i have let's see twitter is still at Moose xiv um twitch is still on will a-n-w-y-l-l um i tend to stream the new content and that's that's it for right now because i've been in a in a lot of life transitions especially c- career-wise um so those are the two main things i do but if you uh, look at the Twitch page, you can pop into the Discord server, and we're always having a lot, of, a lot of lore-related discussions there in terms of asking questions, answering questions, doing research, translating things from all the languages, just trying to get like a grounded grasp on things. And I would say that's probably the primary focus I have right now. Is on making sure that i still play understand comprehend and can answer questions about stuff and scaffold people in making (laughs) their own meaning out of it without going totally sideways yeah and that's what i think is my big project right now but i will have some big projects coming up soon uh especially after i finish a couple ones that don't have anything to do with my gaming life and get back into it i really want to do a couple of big lore things pretty soon one being fatal frame one doing a full lore focused run of fatal frame every game um like an optimized playthrough where we don't really care about the challenge of the ghosts but like we fully power up the camera collect all of the notes read all of the notes i'll like zoom in on all the little cool little things in the room and i'd love to do that project someday and really like drag a few horror fans into it because there is so much to find in fatal frame
0: that's 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 my kind of stuff that sounds fantastic as for me you can find me on twitter at victor e hunter that's victor the letter e hunter um rogetsu dropouts is a podcast on the Acts of the blood god network where you can also hear our sister podcast Charlian dropouts twice a month where they talk about all things final fantasy ziv i don't know how to pronounce that whatever that is um head over to patreon.com blood pod to get all kinds of bonuses like discord access at the one dollar level to join us on our ongoing events like our wildly successful Blue Mage Thursdays. It's been so much fun. In our last session, we, uh, we took down Ifrit and Garuda Extreme back-to-back, synced. We got those Chivos. We're tr- oh true God. gamers. Uh, final stings everywhere. It's been so much fun. Um, the $5 level. Uh, gets you an extra Charlie and Dropouts episode each month $10 for the Pantheon of the Blood God bonus episodes or that sweet $25 Stars of Destiny level which gives you access to our live Acts of the Blood God recordings as well as the always hilarious post-show hangouts that's patreon.com slash blood god pod for myself and Anonymous thanks so much for listening and as I always say Leave Miku Hinasaki alone, she's fine. <laughs> just. just let her be, whatever. Who cares? Sometimes people are shitty moms. <laughs>